Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. Reading out of the book of Zechariah, the prophet, the fourth chapter, and the angel who talked with me came again and woke me like a man who's wakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? I said, see, I see and behold a lampstand all of gold with a bowl on top of it and seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? And the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and you shall be, bring forward the top stone or the capstone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Father, I pray your anointing this morning, the presence of your Holy Spirit to speak and to guide address our hearts and our minds, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. For those of you who have uh, joined us just recently or missed last week, um, I was mentioning that actually this has been about four years in the making. I was supposed to go on a four-month sabbatical um, in April of 2020. Instead, we had COVID in March, and so that has been taken offline. Uh, a little reconstruction of the idea, and so I leave tonight, 6.15, I uh, fly to Cairo, Egypt, um, for a five-week study uh, trip that the elders have provided for me. Um, I will be exploring uh, and trying to, to walk in the steps of the Israelites in Egypt, and then a lot of desert time, including Mount Sinai, and then uh, I'm going to be crossing the Red Sea. I'm not going to part it, uh, just going to cross it. <laughs> um, my faith is, eh. um, be in Jordan for a period of time, and... Uh, and so that's going to go on for about the next five weeks of time or so. So I'm excited about that. I'm prepared. But I processed as a result, uh, coming off of Easter, I, I would have two Sundays if, to address you. And I thought, what two things that I feel were really important if they were the last things that I were to express at all? So word one was a bruised reed, and it was in essence about grace. And today is word two, to get a little Dr. Seuss on you, um, by my spirit. Um, one note before I go into that. One of the elders stopped by my office this past week and had a little bag for me, and I opened it up, and inside was this little square device that basically um, allows my phone to connect and become a satellite communication, so in places where I don't have cell service, which will happen in some of the desert places, that I can connect and do SOS or call out, or at least they know where to bury the body, whatever the case is. Um, I just thought it was really sweet. I mean, the elders of that, I thought, man, it's the first gift I've ever received that actually says... Yeah, we'd like to see you again. You know, it's like <laughs> so that was kind of cool. Um, <laughs> all right, into this passage of scripture. Um, I'm I'm going to go to this passage, but 
Um, I've said this before, I'll say it again. And it relates to this conversation today, and I hope you'll understand as we go along. This is a platform, but it is never a stage, ever. Um, I am a pastor, but I am not a performer and never a politician. Um, and you, you are never an audience. You are a congregation. And what makes us these things in large part is due in large part to the Holy Spirit and his presence in our lives. Um, the real, real impact, in fact, the term Pentecostal you might have heard, and I grew up Pentecostal, and some of you, that's just enough to make you run out the door right now hearing that. Um, others of you, you're really drawn to that. Uh, um, we used to talk about swinging from the chandeliers that you get really wired up and going. Um, and this passage of scripture, the key one being not by might, not by power, by my spirit, was, was a touchstone that I grew up with my entire life. And if I am, am somewhat removed from the excesses that I see often in Pentecost, which is more self-centered and self-directed and fleshly, I in no way ever want to reject the work of the Holy Spirit or, or have a misunderstanding of, of our dependency. And so if last week was in the issue of grace, this message today in regards to the Spirit are the two things I think you particularly need if you're a Christian to understand. I'll try to bring some understanding of the time we have. The term Pentecost is actually drawn from Acts chapter 2 um, when it says the, the day of Pentecost came, which was a feast for the Jewish people, and they were all gathered together in one place, meaning the disciples of Jesus Christ. And so they're all depressed when Jesus dies. He's resurrected, and that, that's a definite upswing in the attendance issue. I mean, they're wired after that a bit, but they're still not empowered as such. And Jesus says, wait, linger. This idea of waiting upon the Lord we come to gatherings like this too often to hear someone talk, and it becomes a talk. And then we intellectualize it, and then we walk out. That's not the way of the church. Yeah. It really isn't. The idea is that we gather and that there's the presence of the Holy Spirit in each one of us and here present that somewhere in music, somewhere in speech, somewhere in other things, that something dynamic is happening. And sometimes it requires us that we linger, that we wait, that we don't rush out. Now, I don't say this to hinder anyone. Um, to feel in any way limited. After the service is over, I know that you have places to go, you have appointments you have to keep, you definitely have to pick up your children and take them with you when you leave. Definitely have to do that, all right? So I don't say this as a, as a thing, but there are times when we gather when I would encourage you that there's a moment in that time that you should seize and linger. Find a quiet place of prayer or at least take it with you as you go and find something later in the day a time. So these guys are told, so they're lingering, they're waiting upon the, the Lord. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there seemed to be, it just seemed to be, we don't know what they were, tongues of fire that separate came to rest on each of them. I was really hoping I could get some like wind machines to illustrate this for you today and all. And ladies would all be upset afterwards about their hair being messed up and all. But the, wing, the, the tongues of fire, wasn't sure really how to do that one. So just imagine it. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. It was festival time. So a lot of people had come that were Jewish from different parts of the world. And there's an interesting thing. One of the main manifestations of the Holy Spirit, in this moment at least, was all these guys speaking in other tongues. So these people are hearing their own language done. And 
in a way, what you've got here is a reverse Babel taking place. It, when the Tower of Babel happens, humans were pulling away from God and saying, we want a name for ourselves. We want to build ourselves up. We want to establish these things. And, and, and God says, fine, you know, mess up the language and they can't work together too well. In this moment, it's a reversal of that. And this is what the kingdom of God does in a lot of cases. It reverses the harm or the damage or the, the negative aspects that have been happening over time. And so now everyone can hear the word of the Lord. It doesn't matter what their language is. They're not an impediment to that. And they're amazed at this. And these men who were originally fearful, maybe now buoyed by God's presence or the idea of, of Jesus' resurrection, but they're still ignorant fishermen for the most part. There's an eloquence that comes to them going forward. They address crowds. They, they change the world. There's something about the infilling, the power of the Holy Spirit that comes and enters into their life. And then here's the next thing that happens. The power is expressed because 3,000 people are added to the church that day. They, they listen, they hear Peter, this ignorant fisherman, suddenly powerfully speaking of prophecies and, and of Christ. And 3,000 people, the church massively grows in just a moment of time. And so a lot of times people focus on, on the fact of the, the gifts of the tongues or the power of what takes place. I was always drawn to the last portion, Acts chapter 2, verse, 20, verse 42. And I've, I've seen this passage misused often so times. I've heard ministries called by this number 242. I've heard churches call it. But they miss the point of it. They, 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 they focus on the wrong thing on this. Here it says they devoted themselves. This is the outworking of the Holy Spirit. Not just the power of it. Not just the flash. Not just people added. But there was a, a community that comes out of this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. To fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And it wasn't just a community that cared about themselves. It was a community that cared about all the other communities of Christ. It was not just caught up in a, in a hanging out together, but the Holy Spirit was in the center drawing them, and they were drawn to Christ. They were drawn to prayer. You know, if Tolkien has the fellowship of the ring, then, then what Luke is talking about here is the fellowship of the king, and that we all draw around him. And that's one of the reasons why we've had this, this structure over the years. Of, these were stakes originally that were, that were marked and signed by people when we constructed the building out that area there, the concourse atrium area. Hello to all of you out there in the atrium. Um, uh, people came and they, they, they put their names on those stakes and they put a scripture or a person they wanted to see reach for Christ. And, and across that field that is now the atrium concourse, they pounded those stakes in the ground. They stood up there for a, a month or two before they broke ground. We gathered those and we put them into this form, each one representing a family, an individual, but at the center is Christ. This is a representation for us as a church. We may all have our different lives and places, but we are centered in Christ. It's not just a social gathering. It's centered in Christ. So the term Pentecost comes from this. Let me show you a picture real quick. A picture of, of someone that has been very important in your life, though you may not know it. Um, this, this, this woman's name is uh, Alice, what is it? I think it's uh, uh, Susan Alice Bennett. And she's a backup singer for Roy Orbison and for Burt Bacharach at one time. And um, she's one of the most important people in your life that you do not know. So hang that one out there for a minute. We'll come back to her in just a moment of time. Because when it comes to the Holy Spirit, there's a misunderstanding. The Holy Spirit is not a mystical force, like the force, Luke. He's the third person of the Godhead. He's expressed in terms that have character and personality. One of the things that's important about the Holy Spirit, we read in chapter 12, 31 of Matthew, 
Jesus is saying, so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And so we know that if we blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, it is literally the only unforgivable sin. And we're like, what's that about? God's touchy about his buddy, the Holy Spirit. I mean, you're speaking bad and he'll zap you forever for eternity. It's like, no, you, you have to understand the work of the Holy Spirit to understand why blasphemy. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is not like cussing out the Holy Spirit or using some cuss words in regards to the Holy Spirit. It's, it's not that. We'll understand better when we go to John chapter 16, verse 8. When he comes, meaning the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit stays in the background. And, and his main focus is to put the attention on Jesus. Not on himself. It's always putting on Jesus. And his main role is to convict us of sin, not condemn. Condemn says, you're done, you're toast, you're, you're out of here. You horrible human, you know, piece of garbage. Conviction says, no, you got a problem and you need to address it. And I'm here to kind of draw your attention to it and have you feel convicted. Someone, when we leave a service like this, we can feel convicted. There's something I need to change, something I need to see done, something I need to submit before God or surrender before him. This is the role of the Holy Spirit. If we no longer feel his conviction, if we reject the Holy Spirit and his work, we no longer have an awareness of our sin or our need for God. Hence, it is unforgivable because I will never come, become conscious of my need to be forgiven. Are we following that? Okay. That's why. It's a rejection of the work. So I have no sin. I have no problem. I reject all this. There's no way you're going to be forgiven until you become conscious of that and you listen to the Holy Spirit to realize why you have a need for God. In fact, there's only really three chapters in the scriptures that teach about the Holy Spirit. And they're 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12 Verse 3 says, Therefore I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. If they're saying that, they're not connected with God. It's not from the Spirit of God. But catch this. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. It's only because the Holy Spirit engages in our lives that we have the sense and awareness of our need of sin and our conviction, but also that we can come to Christ and be forgiven and praise him and say he's Lord. Now, the other thing that happens in chapter 12 is it talks about different gifts. And people are often drawn, like the first Acts portion, they're drawn to the power of Pentecost. I don't know how long, much I heard that growing up. And the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the power. And yes, there is power. Absolutely, it's God. But the 12th chapter talks about that power. It talks about different gifts. It talks about speaking in tongues. It talks about healing. It talks about prophecy and gifts of wisdom. And, and, and it says these things are legit. How they're used is an issue, but they are legit. But the next passage as it crosses over is into Corinthians chapter 13, which is wildly misused, though I understand. So if you use this at your wedding, cool. The love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, right? But you can't rip that out of context. Chapter 12 says these gifts are legit, and it says tongues in there. And then you go to the very first verse of chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. 
the gifts without love, without a submission to the body, without a consideration for others, he's saying is useless. It's directly tied to that. Now, you can take the rest of the thing and say it at your wedding. It's cool. You know, love forgives everything, and it's greatest of these is love, and it, that's cool. No problem. But the context is in the usage of the gifts. And then it goes into the 14th chapter. And it says there's a time and a place for these things. And in chapter 14, verse 32, it says, The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregation of the Lord's people. In other words, God's Holy Spirit does not possess us. And we begin to have no control. And we do wild, ecstatic issues. We have a choice of how we handle that. We're part of that. God does not possess us. It says that it's, there's, an, there's an order to that. goes on in 1439. It says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting, orderly way. And 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1 says, follow the way of love. So you've got 12 saying these things are legit. You've got right at the beginning of 13 saying, but if you do all this and you don't have love, then really you suck, okay? Then it goes to 14 and says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire these things. God, by his Holy Spirit, is not the force. He is not possessive. I'll tell you something else that he's not, though, and, and let me go back to our friend up here, uh, um, Ms. Bennett, Susan Bennett, most important person in your life that you not know. How many of you uh, have the iPhone? How many of you have had iPhone? Okay, the rest of you Android losers. <laughs> <laughs> if you have an iPhone, then Ms. Bennett has been uh, your assistant uh, since 2011. She's the voice of Siri, the original voice of Siri. Now, um, I think the OS 7 update uh, was released, and that, that kind of got someone else into it, but she was the original voice of Siri. She's been your personal assistant. You know, you just punch that button and call her up, and she'll do whatever you want. The Holy Spirit is not mystical of a force. The Holy Spirit is not possessive. The Holy Spirit is also not yours or my personal assistant to do whatever it is that we want done or said. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit has power. But I think one of the most significant things is to be the voice of God, to speak into our hearts and our minds, to guide us, to encourage us, to strengthen us. He's referred to as the comforter, as a healer, as an advocate for us. Sometimes I see these hawks out there flying around. I, I just, someone told me there's actually two eagles not too far away. I didn't know those were in Michigan, but I guess they are. You see the hawks going around, and my, my wife gets concerned because we have a little dog, and, and she's concerned that he's going to come down and take the dog away. The older the dog gets, the more I'm hoping, but either way. Um, <laughs> but you see these hawks sometimes, and, and they go cruising along, and you see them working really hard at some points, and then you see them just drift. And, and what's really weird is they just drift along and, and, and without any effort they're, they're going up. They're spiraling upward. What is with that anti-gravity thing? Well, there's what's called thermals where the earth will heat a certain point and creates updrafts of, of warmer air. And these birds will seek out those areas. So they work hard to find that area and then they hit it. And when they hit it, they just 
and they just cruise and circle and gain altitude. And then from there, they can continue to cruise out of that and go for a long way to go for targets, things, or do whatever else until they find another thermal. The point being is when they're riding these thermals, they do not work hard. They are not... They're riding the uprising of the air. In part for a believer is to have an understanding of the Holy Spirit is not as possessive, not as mystical, not as an assistant, but as someone who, when we seek the Holy Spirit and we find his presence, to rise up with that, that it's not by might, it's not by power, but there's something of the Spirit that's being done and shaped in us that moves us into a place. The late Dr. J.W. Tozer said this, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, he says, 95% of what they did would stop and everyone would know the difference. Programs are, are important. They are helpful. They do good things. But programs is not presence. You can be impressed by the party that we can throw on any given Sunday here. We can jazz this up. We can ride this hard. We can flash the lights. We can do all sorts of things. You can have these children's ministries that just knock your socks off and that thrill your kids to no end or youth ministries or, or all sorts of different things. But if the presence of God is not in the midst of it, then it's worse than just nothing. You're actually taking the glory from God and drawing it to yourself as a church or as an entity. Years ago, most of you weren't around for this time period, but years back, we, we had something we called Simplify. We got really convicted on this whole thing. And we said, you know what? That's it. We're bailing out. We stopped every program in the church, I think, except for youth ministries and children's ministries. Otherwise, we ended every other single program. And we said, we are going to wait upon the Lord. And I think we did that for like two years. We had these little signs called Simplify that we put around on everyone's desk and, and we had this and just saying how we simplify our lives, simplify our things. And so we had people that walked away at that time because if you're not doing the banging programs, we don't want to hang around. We had others that came and said, you know, we just want to sit in the presence of God. Programs are good. They're necessary. They're important. But without the presence of God, I talk oftentimes of my Pentecostal roots, not in the crazy aspects of it, but in the depth that was often found there and the lingering and the seeking of God's presence and not just in presentation, but in his presence. I tease sometimes that like, like someone who dyes their roots and stuff like that, I said, I've got Pentecostal roots. They show every once in a while. Because when I approach something like this, I'm not approaching this as a speaker drawing attention to myself. I want to know the presence of God. I want you to know the presence of God. And some of that's coolly intellectual. Some of it's hotly passionate. But it all must line up with the word of God or it's not true. And over the next five weeks or so, you're going to have some great speakers. I mean, some of these are national speakers and some of these guys, they're all good friends. They're all people we bring in. We know their character. We know who they are. But there are people going to show up over the next couple of weeks just because they've heard by the grapevine this person's going to be here, and that's great. But they're following that person. They're not necessarily pursuing God. What do you show up for? You know, Jesus talks about, as we said last week, John, he went out to see John. What did you go to see? A wild man? You went to see the party? You went to see, or did you see a prophet? Did you go to know the presence of God and to hear the voice of God? Do you wait upon the Lord? 
Do you recognize that the Holy Spirit can interrupt your life at any time and show you something, a person to speak to, or a time when you should be silent, a time when you should give something, or a time to step back, a time to be somewhere, or, or, or whatever, that the Spirit can direct and guide us. And not in some spooky, spiritual, weird way, but, but just by a gentle sense of direction and intuitiveness. I saw a lot of strange things in Pentecostal circles that just turned me off, to be honest, big time. But there were moments that I saw the presence of God in a way that moved beyond my intellectual capacities and the vast of education that I've had and experience. So, let's come to Zechariah. As we look at Zechariah, this passage, um, there's several things, the times he's saying that the angel that is talking to him and so he's listening. So there's an engagement of an angel talking to him, and he's listening and, and wanting to hear him speak. And he says, that, and, and let's me give a backstory real quick. Um, um, Zechariah is a priest, and Zerubbabel is the guy who's going to oversee the restoration of the temple. They're coming back from a um, exile. They've all been taken away captive years before. And now they're able to come back, but the place is ruined. They're going to try to restore and, and reestablish it. And so this image that he's getting is that in the temple. And there's this lampstand that has these seven lamps and, and there's these two olive trees on either side of it. And, um, and he's told, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. He says, what am, I, what am I to understand of this? Well, a couple things you have to understand first about the lamps and everything else. The lamps were prepared with a specially pure oil. And um, when he sees this being done, he also would have been aware that it was an arduous duty for the priest. They had to constantly refill the, the lampstand that would stand in the presence of God. And um, they would have to clean the things. They'd have to trim the wicks. It was a very arduous uh, effort to be done. A lot of work. What he sees here is that there's two olive trees. And the idea is that the oil is in a continuous flow. No longer does there have to be work or effort done to maintain the divine light of God. There's going to be some flow of this oil. There are going to be self-filling lamps fed directly by these two um, uh, olive trees. Now, oil's always been a symbol of the Holy Spirit. This is why sometimes you'll see people will anoint with oil. It's, it's a symbol of that, an expression of that. Oil lubricates is one of the things we noticed in that. It, it removes the friction and wear. We've said things over here at this place that I said, we will, we'll discuss things vigorously. We have strong leadership. We'll discuss things vigorously, but never violently. We've never had anyone cuss anyone out in a meeting. We've never had anyone punch anyone out. I've seen that happen in churches, believe it or not. Vigorous, but not violently, because the Holy Spirit lubricates. It, 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 it works the parts together. And those of you that have a car that know anything about a car, you take the oil out of that car, you're not going to run too long after that. It'll just, it'll just melt down. I had, a, I had an old Chevette that I had down in my graduate studies out in Chicago, and I'd, I'd pick it up off the street. I'd fly into to the uh, Midway Airport, take it to school, come back, drop it off at the end of the street, come home. Did this week after week, kept going to hoping I'd look at the car on the street and find it was stolen. I was hoping it. Never was. It lasted until I left um, uh, graduate school. And as my wife and I were driving out of Chicago after graduation, it literally melted down. I mean, I, I opened There's little wisps of smoke coming out of the little four-cylinder. Chevettes were wonderful little vehicles. They had a, a squirrel running in the cage and a spare one in the trunk. It was a horrible thing. Um, but it melted right down because the oil was just gone. Oil lubricates. Oil heals. It was used as medicinal treatment. Um, oil lights when it's burned in a lamp. It warms when it's used as fuel for a flame. It invigorates when it's used in massage. 
It adorns when it's applied as a perfume, but the one I find most drawing to me is it was used in the ancient days to polish metal. And that wiped away our grime and smoothing out of the rough edges and it allows us to see ourselves truly because they'd use metal oftentimes as a reflective mirror. And so Zerubbabel's getting this sense that there's going to be this lampstand that's going to be continuously fed. There's not going to be work or effort. And the Holy Spirit is going to be somehow present in such a way. And it's this that then he's being told by um, uh, him that it's, it's not by might, by power, but by my spirit that the temple's going to get restored properly, not physically only, but spiritually. Might focuses on our collective strength, the resources of a group or an army. Power focuses on individual strength. And God's saying, not by the resources of many or one, but by my spirit. It's not going to be our cleverness or our ability or our physical strength that the temple will be rebuilt, but by the spirit of God. The same spirit that was present at creation. The same spirit that part of the Red Sea. The same spirit that gave life to dead bones in Ezekiel. And that somehow the Holy Spirit was going to continually supply his need, just as these oil trees were going to continuously be feeding in. There's something happening in this church right now, and it's not because of all the great things we're doing. God is drawing some of you, and you're being drawn by his spirit. It's not because we're the greatest or the best. We're not bad, but that's not the issue. It's God's Holy Spirit drawing and moving. The importance of this cannot be understated. One teacher years back, Spurgeon said, Oh, churches, take heed lest you trust in yourselves. Take heed lest you say we are a respectable body. We are mighty in number. We are a potent people. Take heed lest you begin to glory in your own strength. For when that is done, Ichabod shall be written on your walls and your glory shall depart from you. Remember that he who was with us when we were but few must be with us now, but we are many or else we must fail. I want to read that again. Remember that he who was with us when we were but few must be with us now we are many, or else we must fail. And he who strengthened us when we were but as little in Israel must be with us now, or like the thousands of Manasseh's quoting scripture at that point, or else it is all over with us and our day is past. If I had two words to say to you, the first one would be, that a bruised reed, he will not snap. His grace is there. But if I had a last final word, it would be to say, it's not by might, whether it's of the many or by power of the few, but it is by my spirit that things will be achieved. And what really captures me about this passage that I just really stumbled into more this time is this. It, it closes us by saying, and who are you, O great mountain, the mountain of rubble that was the temple? Who are you, O great mountain of rubble? Before Zerubbabel, you'll become a plain. In other words, we're going to sweep it all away. It's all going to be cleaned up. And you shall bring forward, you're going to restore the temple. In other words, you're going to bring forward the capstone amidst shout of grace, grace to it. We know in Scripture that the capstone, the cornerstone is Jesus Christ. And so there's going to be this temple. And we're told that we're the temple. That God's Holy Spirit is working with us, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That we're being gathered as a great church, not just in this church, but churches around the world. The original pyramids had this smooth, gleaming white limestone face. It's all gone away now, but gleaming. They would have glittered. And the top part, that little capstone, would have been covered with gold. So you would have seen that from a distance. And so the imagery here, and these people would have known this stuff, is that the temple, Christ is shaping us by his Holy Spirit. And it's going to be capped off by Christ himself, this gleaming, shining thing. 
But what really catches me is there's going to be shouts. And one version says, blessed be your or blessings. But this one says grace. Grace to it. Grace. Not by might. Not by power. But my spirit saith the Lord. He's not a mystical force. He's not an assistant. He's not possessive. He is God. Programs are good. But presence overcomes all. Now, we had, some of you were with us a couple of weeks back, a month or two back, when the power cut out for us. And all, we threw a generator out in the atrium. And, and we had that service out there. And it was a powerful service. Everything stripped down. You know, because it's about God's presence. It's not about all the performance junk. But it's powerful. We had a song that was played at that time. And because of the limitations, we had certain instruments that were present, particularly, specifically, uh, the cello. And for a number of reasons, both personal but also for this moment, I've asked the team to play this again. And it occurred to me as we set this up that there's particular meaning to this. So I'm going to try and give you an illustration today visually as we close. You see, Dean over here is playing piano. And Dean's kind of in the shadows a bit, and that's okay, because for my purposes today, he represents God the Father. Now, for all you Italians, I said God the Father. <laughs> Not Godfather, okay? <laughs> and... and and he's going to be laying down the foundation of the song. The keys lay down the foundation of the song. Now you've got Mickey over here. And Mickey is going to be playing violin. And violin is often referred to as the voice or his voices. Mickey, for our purposes today, no surprise, he's Jesus. Okay? <laughs> so he's the voice of that. But what we didn't have last time and we have now today is Sergei. Sergei, my buddy. And Sergei... He'd come at this time is going to be the Holy Spirit. Because you see, with this cello, he's going to be laying down a, fun, a bass line. So if the Father's laying down the foundation, if, if the Son is speaking out, the Spirit is in the background, just this forefront. And the Holy Spirit's laying down this bass that as it comes out, we can feel it in our chest. We can feel and sense his presence. And for our purposes right now, Emily... And Jake are going to represent us. And so as the Father, Son, and the Spirit come to us, and as we let this music swell here today, I want you to consider several things in this closing moment of time. As a young boy, Samuel the prophet heard the voice of God in the night calling to him. And upon hearing it the third time, he went, he obeyed, and there were mighty things that Samuel did. Elijah, hiding in the cave at one time, running from Jezebel and Ahab, depressed, scattered, broken, shattered, hiding in a cave, and, and, and he hears the voice of God, but not in the whirlwind, and, and not with the earthquake, but with just the whisper, the gentleness of God's Spirit speaking draws him out of his depression. Moses hears God's verse in a burning bush, and it transforms his life. The Holy Spirit comes to convict, not to condemn, but to also to instruct us in the ways of God. Power, yes, but presence. And so this morning, my final question to you is, are you listening? Do you seek the presence of God? And when he speaks, does it change your life? 
So just in this moment, God, I pray as we, as we hesitate, as we linger for just this time, we come to you this morning with a petition sung by Emily and Jake on behalf of all of us this morning as we approach you. Found in surrender My heart is full of yours Caught in the moment Captivated by the unseen Your loving heart for me Reveals to me Let my heart be
the song that catches me the most for me personally has been that phrase that says I am with you I am for you 
I have a plan for you, and you'll never walk alone. And you need to know that if you are a follower of Christ, if, if you accept him as your Savior, then you're not alone ever. The Holy Spirit's always present. That he has a plan for you. That he's not just with you, but he's for you as well. A bruised reed he will not break. His grace is sufficient for you. But don't think it's about power and about might and all the work on our part. It's more about opening ourselves to the presence of the Holy Spirit and letting him guide and speak to us, individually and as a community. Now, there's one final thing that I realize here that I, I want to I try and make visual for you as we conclude this. And I'm going to ask this. I'm going to ask Emily if you'd stand for a moment, please. And I'm going to ask if you'd go over and stand right over there next to Sergey. A little close to him. A little closer. Because <laughs> you see, this is what happens. We think it's about us. We're the lead singers. And God t- starts with us there as we cry out to him and ask him to speak to us. But as time goes on and we grow in relationship with him, what happens is increasingly self recedes. And along with the Holy Spirit, we make sure that really just Jesus is getting the focus and attention. That's the life of the believer in Jesus Christ. If you need to linger, if you want to, can do so. There'll be those to pray up front. If you need to run out and grab kids and go, fine. But think of what's being said today. Think of how God, and as you go into your week, be tuned. What is he saying? Is there a moment where he wants you to speak? Or maybe there's a moment that you have that hesitancy saying, no, I need to shut up for a while. Maybe there's a moment you need to give something. Maybe there's a moment you need to hold back. Maybe there's a moment you just need to be present or go someplace or, or, or hold. But, but tune yourselves to the presence of the Holy Spirit and the presence of God through that. Word one, a bruised reed. It's not going to break. Word two, by his spirit. Not by ours, by his. Father, I pray as we would linger or leave this place today that we would sense your presence and that it would shape our lives and that increasingly who we are in ourself and our ego would recede and your presence would grow in us. As your Holy Spirit comes alongside us, Lord, let us sense and respond to that, I pray. We commit these things into your hands in grace believing and in faith. And the church said,